Welcome to Moments with Marianne. I'm so delighted we're spending this time here today. We have a very inspiring show coming right up with special guest, Jennifer Hill. And she's here today to share with us her new book, 101 Spiritual Tools for Uncertain Times. So I've had a lot of folks reach out to me and say that they're a little concerned about going outside and spending time with others, and they'd rather do an inward dive. And I've got to say, the show is just for you. I know many of us are looking for resources to expand our consciousness. And today's guest, Jennifer Hill, is here to share with us how to do just that. After a 15-plus year journey into hundreds of spiritual practices, Jennifer brings us the top techniques that changed her life. Many of you know Jennifer. She has her own show and is a radio host and TV host who has appeared on many major news networks, including KNX Radio, BBC News, ABC, NBC, Fox, and E! News. She's been quoted in numerous online articles, including The Ladder and Glassdoor. Jennifer has also been a featured speaker for various conferences, law firms, and corporations around the United States. So let's welcome to the show, Jennifer Hill. Thank you so much for having me here, Marianne. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. Oh my goodness, what an honor it is to have you here, Jennifer, you know, as you're traveling the globe, but my goodness, you must be seeing some similar things going, you know, happening regardless of where you're at. You know, Marianne, it's so funny. I've been doing a couple of travel interviews lately about Nice versus London versus Paris and just arrived in Portugal. And it's similar and dissimilar. Having come from the U.S. right before all this happened on February 26th and then landed in Paris and then London, it's just been a little bit more of a lax vibe, I would say. Like people don't seem like there's a concern about it, like a thoughtfulness and respect about it, but it doesn't seem to be from a place of fear. I think back in March, both in Paris and London, when everything first happened, there was definitely a higher sense of trepidation. And being in Portugal now, one of the reasons I moved to Portugal at this time is because it's considered the third most peaceful country in the world. And with the state of the world as it is in these coming months, I figured being in a peaceful country was probably a good option. And they're just the friendliest people, some of the nicest people I've ever met. Despite COVID, people are just very warm and effusive here, which is very enjoyable to be around. Well, what a perfect place to be as we're all going through difficult times. People are in their homes all across the world listening for this discussion. And I have to ask you, your book, 101 Spiritual Tools for Uncertain Times, why did you decide that now is the time for you to write this? <laughs> Marin, it wasn't even something on my radar. I wrote my first book back in or published my first book back in 2013. And I swore I would never write another book. I was like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And then I wrote two white papers. And I'm like, I'm never writing again. And then I was sitting, I was quarantined by myself in London. And during the first major month, I think it was end of March. And at that time, I was doing my normal spiritual practice, which you know was at that time about six to seven hours a day. And I just got a message that you're going to write this book. It's called 101 Spiritual Tools for Uncertain Times. And without batting an eyelash, Marianne, I had 101 tools that were presented to me and they were all tools that I had used. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing this. And I I wrote the book over the course of probably less than five total days because it's kind of like when you're using 
the energy and the flow of the universe, everything is super easy. And I would sit down and I would just ask the universe, I would say, uh, would you like me to write today? And some days I would get a no and some days I would get a yes. And I just would write nonstop for eight hours. And then I'd wait for the next time that I was allowed to write. That's fabulous. Just how this all is coming together. I found your book to be so useful because there are tools in there for people, regardless where they're at in their journey. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I mean, I wanted to share it. My dream, Marianne, is I feel so, so fortunate to be able to live a life I love. And my intention for everybody listening, anybody who picks up the book, is that every one of us gets to live a fulfilled life, literally gets to live our life by design and have everything work out for us with ease and effortlessly. And the reason I created this book, it's mainly for the tools. The funny thing about the book, Marianne, is that at the end of each book, so book one has 11 tools. I'm two thirds of the way writing uh, book two, which will have 10 tools. And then each of the subsequent books will have 10 tools. But at the end of each book, I'm providing resources for each chapter. And it's really to give context. If I could just share, and I did share on the blog. So if people go to 101spiritualtools.com and click on the only blog post there, it literally has for free all of the resources in the back of the book. And I wanted to do it that way on purpose because I honestly just want to share all of the wisdom from my phenomenal teachers. I've been able to study with Michael Beckwith, Deepak Chopra. I've been able to study with David Guillaume at the Kabbalah Center. And I wish that I could just poof, blow magic fairy dust and give everybody around the world access to all of these incredible teachers and their wisdom. And so that's why the book is dedicated to my teachers as well. Of all the teachers you've worked with, I know this would probably be a very difficult thing for you to do, but what are a couple that really stand out for you as people who have really shaped your life in many ways? Uh, un, undoubtedly, without uh, even hesitating, Julian Adler, which is funny because he's not as famous as, say, Deepak Chopra or Reverend Michael Beckwith. But Julian Adler was my business coach for probably about seven, eight years from when I opened my company, about two to three years in when I opened my company, he came on the scene and I would not have been able to sell my company without his wisdom. It was very much grounded in pragmatism and applying spiritual tools. So he taught me things like emotional freedom technique, tapping. I talk about how he taught me how to speak to my heart in the book. And (laughs) that was, I was totally incredulous when Jules and I started working together. I thought he had lost his mind. If he wasn't such like he was a tech guy in Silicon Valley. And if he hadn't already had success, I would have kind of blown him off. But two or three of my girlfriends had worked with him and really liked him. So Jules would definitely be up there and probably one of the top three teachers who's made the greatest impact. Uh, Another one is somebody people might not be as aware of is Arthur Samuel Joseph, who has been my vocal coach. He was introduced to me. I'll always remember it. I was at a Christmas party by my old house in Brentwood and the famous newscaster, Andrew Siciliano was at the Christmas party. And at that point, my on-camera coach had just passed away. It was very, very shocking and sad. And I was at the party and I was lamenting this with uh, Andrew that I was so sad I had just lost him. And Arthur consults at Fox and CBS and NB, like all the NFL network and so forth. And so he referred me to Arthur Samuel Joseph. And Arthur and I have been working together for seven years now about the power of voice and how we can use our voices to, you know, to create and to use our tone and empower ourselves and others through voice. So Arthur has been instrumental and we still work together regularly and collaborate on things. And then David Guillaume, uh, Kabbalah forever changed my perspective. I, I mean, there's so many, I could, <laughs> this is why they're all so wonderful and it's hard to pick and choose, but 
I would be hard pressed to say which one, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, Jen, you have to tell somebody what to go out and do right now. You know, Kabbalah One, I think, is something that's accessible for everybody. And I think David Guillaume, if I'm not mistaken, is teaching another Kabbalah One class. And what I love that they're doing right now is that they're offering it for any amount donation. So if you can pay $0, you don't donate anything. If you can pay $1, you donate. And you get access to these 1,500-person classes from around the world. And I kind of, the way I describe it, Marianne, is that for me, Kabbalah, is akin to when you play a video game. Like, let's say that you have a video game. You need to know how to win that game. You need to know AABB grabs the special star or that right, right, left, left allows you to jump over the bad guy. And I like to think of Kabbalah as the same thing of kind of having the playbook with all the Easter eggs in the game and how to win the game with ease and not have to fight against the game because here's how the world is designed and we all just need this tool book on it. So that's probably why it's tough to say, but I might recommend Kabbalah of everything I've ever done first and foremost to people. Well, it's interesting for people who are not aware of what Kabbalah is, explaining that way kind of makes sense because it really sounds like a manual to life. Uh, That's it. I mean, literally you want, uh, Marianne, it's, uh, gosh, I, I, I remember very specifically, there's something called the 72 names of God that I talk about in the book as one of my favorite tools. And these names are ancient, ancient wisdom that they say like, created Moses parting the Red Sea, miracles in people's lives. And one of them is for fertility. And, you know, anybody out there, God forbid you or loved one is struggling with fertility issues. I'll never forget a dear, dear friend of mine, Erin, really wanted more than life itself to have a child. That was her dream. And she went to the fertility doctor and they said, we're so sorry. We don't, we can't even excavate any of your eggs. You have a 0% chance of getting pregnant. We can't even, in vitro won't even work for you. And she was crushed, you know, she was absolutely crushed. And I said, Erin, you know, do you believe in miracles? And she said, yeah. And so myself and other people, I used the 72 names of God name for fertility, which is Kaf Lamed Yad. And you can use it for creating something like a creative endeavor or for bringing forth new life into the world. And every day, Marianne, I would visualize seeing her pregnant and I would see like just light surrounding her. And to this day, I always will remember when her husband called me, I was walking down the streets of New York and I was at a park on a corner, Bryant Park, I think it was. And he called and it was a beautiful sunny day. And he said, Jen, you're going to be an auntie. And Marian, I fell to my knees in the middle of Bryant Park and I started crying and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, she just got pregnant naturally, just completely. And this was somebody who had been told she had a 0% chance. So whether it's that you want to have a baby, you want to meet your soulmate, you want to, you know, have millions of dollars, whatever it is, it's literally the foundation and the playbook of how to win at life. So people get Kabbalah mixed up with religion, like they think, oh, it's a religious thing. Not at all. It's just about understanding the inner workings of the universe and how to be in the flow so that you're going with the flow of the universe and things work for you. That way you're not fighting against it. Oh my goodness. How important is that? And I love how you've brought so much ancient wisdom into this book. I mean, you start off tool number one, Ho'oponopono. And I think it, <laughs> and for people who are not, oh, you know, aware of that, I thought, gosh, you know, I I love Ho'oponopono. I think it's such a powerful prayer to use. And I love the way that you have just broken it down for people. 
Yeah, that was one of the tools that Julian Adler, my teacher, I remember had shared with me. And I remember the moment he shared it with me. You know, when you run a business, Marianne, I, I don't know if any of you out there might be entrepreneurs or business owners, you make mistakes. You do the very best that you can and you make mistakes. And, you know, one of the mistakes that I made in business was I had an employee who was one of my top performers and she had to go on medical leave. And at the time, you know, she took some time off and unfortunately, you know, she can't, well, thank God she was able to come back. And we had a disagreement about her commissions when she came back and she had been a dear, dear friend of mine for a long time. So she went on this leave and then she said, oh, I want you to pay me commissions. And when all this happened, I was like, oh, you know, I was being right. <laughs> how much, how much trouble do we get in when we're righteous? Or we think, oh, I know how it should be, or it shouldn't be this way. And I wasn't willing to hear her perspective. So sure enough, she leaves the company. And I remember, you know, those moments where you just know something, and I remember where she called me Jennifer on a Friday call before she quit. And I knew she, everybody in the business called me Jay Hill. And when she called me Jennifer on our team call that day, I was like, oh gosh, something's up. Sure enough, Monday, she gives her notice. And about a month later, I got a notice from the labor board saying that it was the only legal issue, knock on wood, that I ever had in the eight years of running my company. And she said, you know, I'm owed this and this is what I think is fair. And it crushed me at the time. I was like so heartbroken because she was a friend and somebody important to me. And then I had an opportunity and Jules said to me, said, Jen, do this prayer, ho opono ono prayer, where you say out loud at least 10 times a day for 30 days. I apologize. Please forgive me. Thank you for being in my life so that I may love you. And if any of you out there are perhaps in conflict with somebody, maybe you feel like they did something wrong and that you're in the right, because I know I was certainly in that mindset at the time, I could barely spit out those words, Marianne. I was like, I apologize. Please forgive me. And I'm like seething when I'm saying <laughs> it was not pretty. I'm not going to sit here and be all spiritual guru and pretend it was perfect and wonderful. No, it was very ugly. So about the first 10 to 20 days I did it, I was spitting out the words and, but you're supposed to visualize the person's energy. You don't say it to the person, you say it while thinking of them. And around day 2021, somewhere like around the halfway mark, all of a sudden something shifted and my heart opened. So instead of getting angry when I thought about the situation, there was this opening. And because of that, I was able to reach out to her and sit down. We had coffee and we talked it through. And then I was finally able to see her perspective and we came to a wonderful solution. We're still friends to this day. And I'm just so deeply grateful that Jules had introduced me to that tool. And it's, you know, think of all the hard work and the suffering we go through when we're in an animosity sort of situation. Uh, you know, it's it's worth it. Trust me, the, the 30 seconds you'll spend a day while you're driving, walking your dog, whatever you're doing, saying this out loud while thinking of somebody is priceless. Peace of mind is always priceless. When we look at it that way, I mean, what a priceless gift that is. And it could be for any situation, regardless what it is, which is why that's one of my favorite tools to use as well. I, I was reading that. I just love you sharing that when it happened, because I mean, it really does shift the energy, not necessarily for that person. It could, but really for ourselves. Yeah. And that's the thing is that forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for ourselves. I think there's that old great quote that's attributed to Buddha that said, being angry is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die or something to that effect. And, you know, when you get that, that it's not about forgiving it for the other person that we're carrying this burden. It's like a heaviness you feel in your heart. 
And when we hold on to that anger, that's why the more tools that we have, it's okay to be angry. Like if you're angry, allow yourself to be angry. And when you feel that opening in space, it's not about suppressing or repressing the emotion. It's about allowing yourself to feel it and then going through the experience. And whenever you're ready, release and let it go, which does not mean it has to be that same minute because then you're going to miss the opportunity to experience the lesson of whatever that emotion is. My goodness, how profound is that? Well, and and the thing is, it's, you know, forgiveness, especially now. I mean, people are going through such difficult times. I think forgiveness needs to be on the forefront for everyone to be discussing. Oh, completely. And if I can recommend, if anybody out there um, has a subscription to Insight Timer, and I'm sure they probably have a trial one, my favorite, favorite meditation that I listen to literally every night before I go to bed is by one of my other teachers, Allison Soror. And then uh, I think I may even include it in the links in the, in the blog post is a Kabbalistic evening meditation. And it's this beautiful thing. It's about a 25 minute meditation. And normally when I've done my work for the day, like spiritual work, I can fall asleep within about 10 to 15 minutes of listening to it. And she goes through and she says, listen, before you go to bed, as you're talking to your soul, imagine talking to your soul and saying, soul, what lessons do you have for me as I depart today? Where can you take me to like to forgive and to have compassion for myself and myself and others? And there's another Kabbalistic tool that I like where you reflect it's uh, actually tied into the prayer that she says. I think it's called Ribono Shalolam is the name of the prayer that you can Google and find. And before you say it, you basically want to look at where was I angry? Where did I, um, did I cause another person harm advertently or inadvertently? And uh, speaking of Kabbalah, there's actually an ancient text that I scan every day called the Zohar, which uh, my Kabbalistic teacher, David says, if you scan Zohar for 30 minutes a day and you are ruminating or thinking about whatever opportunity you have to transform in your life, like maybe it's somebody you're angry with, maybe it's that you want your soulmate, that that wisdom will be drawn to you just by scanning this book 30 minutes every day. So I try to scan it for at least 10 minutes every day. And this morning I was scanning a section in book six, I think it is of the Zohar. And it talked about King David. And I love this because it's not religious. It's about, again, it's all written in uh, parables and cryptic language. So you have to really get underneath it. And when you read it, it talks about how these four kings, I think it was David, Asu, and uh, I, I'm not really good with the the spiritual, the religious names of these kings, but it talks about how every day King David would say, hey, listen, I'm looking for where I made a mistake. So somebody else doesn't say you made a mistake. And the same is true as saying this every night. Imagine that you caused another person harm and you don't realize it. And then 10 years comes by and this person's been giving you stink eye for 10 years and you bump into them somewhere. It's like, oh, you caused me so much pain on this day. That's why I like to reflect on it every night as I either listen to this meditation or say this prayer and go, where could I maybe have inadvertently caused somebody harm? And was I unkind to myself even? Was I, did I not honor myself in some way? So it's not just about other people. It's also about, did you dishonor yourself? Did you do something that was out of alignment with your values? And then to reconnect with that and to go back to yourself and to check in and say, what do you need to be complete for this day? Yeah. What do you need to really, I I love that because you're looking at going, gosh, what, what do I need? What does my soul need? And what do I need as, you know, just a person here to feel fulfilled and complete? Yeah. And it's not, here's the important thing. That's one of the last tools that I talk about in book one is spiritual accounting. 
uh, which is that you reflect back. And I look at my day every single day. You can go back on the notes on my iPhone. God forbid somebody ever finds my iPhone and that looks for it. I wouldn't be embarrassed, but I have every single night I write down on my iPhone, how could I have lived today better? And it can include, in fact, I'll actually pull up and I'll tell you what perhaps was on there last night. How could I have lived today better? <laughs> That's ordered pretty what, good. It's so funny. Ordered what I really wanted for breakfast. Like, do you ever notice that? Like I ordered something because the lady recommended it. It's not what my heart really wanted. And I was like, mm-hmm. kind of disappointed. Like, it's such a silly thing. Um, you know, brushed my teeth, checked social less, stayed in the moment, like little, little things. But then you, and it's not meant to come from a place of judgment or making yourself wrong. It's an observation and bring awareness to how did I live my life today? And then I immediately follow that up with, what am I proud of myself for today? Were there things that I did today that nobody else might ever know about, but that I have an opportunity to acknowledge myself for? You know, was it that I meditated? I danced. Like that's that's one of my favorite like pleasures is just to dance around the kitchen like nobody's watching and just not care. And it just fulfills my soul. So like dancing and brushing my dog's teeth, the silly little things like that. And then the last thing I do is I make a list of the three things that I'm grateful for or more for the day. And you know, you can also look at like if today was my last day, would I be happy with how I lived it? And that's a Kabbalistic question to ask is if today was my last day, am I happy with today being my last day? Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at life this way, because it's really, it's a non-judgmental thing, as you mentioned, but it's just a way of going, gosh, you know what? I'm, I'm striving to do better. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. And these are the things I can do better tomorrow. Not that today wasn't as good. Yeah, it's not. That's the thing. It's not about judgment, but we all joked. uh, And I started writing the book. I think I even opened it by saying it felt like Groundhog Day for many people. It still does. They can't go out and do the same things they're used to doing. So let's pretend if this is Groundhog Day and we're all being given the opportunity to redo the same day over and over, why not choose to have the best freaking day of your life every day? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, I'm going to have to think about this a little bit. It's making me kind of reflect on what could we do better and what are we not getting right? So if there's something there that we really need to learn, gosh, what a great time now to dive in and figure that out. Yeah. And to ask the lesson, I think that's a thing. Um, one of my favorite stories from a Kabbalistic teacher who was one of my original teachers about eight years ago named Moshe is he says that I want you to imagine that Marianne has this lesson and this lesson is coming in the form of, you know, maybe it's your child who's you're frustrated by something, or maybe it's a friend or a a person who's in your life or a situation that's irritating you. And that message comes to you. And what do we do? We get irritated by it. We're like, Oh, why is this happening? You know, this shouldn't be this way. This is the wrong person. This person's like nails on a chalkboard. Why am I dealing with this? And so Moshe said, it's kind of like, if you imagine that a letter is addressed to you, to Marianne Pastana, and it says to Marianne Pastana, and it's written in beautiful letters and you receive this letter and you're like, Oh no, wrong person return to sender what's going to happen? The universe is like, oh, no, no, no. This lesson is for you. This person, this experience, this situation is meant for you. So the universe is going to send you 10, 100, 1,000 more of that same person, situation, or experience until what? Until we open the letter, which is a lesson. And the moment that we're in an experience of pain or anguish or suffering, 
and we ask ourselves, what is the lesson? What am I meant to learn from this person or situation? Boom, our lives completely and utterly transform. And that's where miracles happen, where when we're at our lowest points and we feel like we're not going to survive something, instead of going like, it's not fair and it shouldn't be this way, saying, this is a gift. I don't know how, but I'm certain that this is for the good and it's a gift. So reveal to me the lesson and allow me to move through it and give me the strength, you know, do whatever you need to do to draw the strength to get through that experience. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love how that, you know, it it really helps people to look at life and our journey in a new way, you know, where maybe, you know, somebody hasn't thought about it that way before. It's like, you know, you can have some accountability, but not where you're beating yourself up and, and really enjoy the journey. Yeah. And to know like one of my, so speaking of Kabbalah, if people ever want to just kind of skim the surface of Kabbalah every Monday, I think it is at 10 AM, there's a show called the weekly energy boost hosted by David Guillaume and Ali Sheva. And I remember was sometime last year on the show, there was this great story that Ali Sheva shared. And she said, you know, there was this woman and she had studied Kabbalah for a long time and she called Ali Sheva and she said, Oh, I I know I've studied Kabbalah. I'm supposed to ask what the lesson is. And there's this woman at my office and I can't stand her. She talks like this and she's always popping her head over my cubicle and asking me to lunch and I just can't take it anymore. And so she says to her teacher, Elisheva, she says, help me. I can't understand why this is happening. I've applied every Kabbalistic principle. And Elisheva said to her, the only reason that you're experiencing this is because you are that person to someone else. And was pissed off. And she's like, that's not true. I'm not that way to anybody. I would never be that way to anybody. And she was just like, it was driving, and this woman at her work was driving her crazy. So she calls Elisheva back a couple weeks later and is super humble. And she says, Elisheva, you'll never believe it, but I figured it out. And she said, yes. She said, you see what happened was one day I came home and I popped my head over my husband's into my husband's office because her husband worked at home. And she said, I realized I'm nagging my husband in the same way this woman at work is nagging me. And the moment I realized that, and I apologized to my husband for any pain that might've caused him, the woman got transferred to another office. Ooh. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because you could really see where that lesson was, you know, she got the lesson. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And it's fun. Here's the thing. Like, what if this is all a game? Like I, I, there was a great book by James Van Praa I read years ago, I think called Adventures of the Soul. And he says, listen, we're all in soul school. Imagine that we're all down here getting a PhD in abandonment, forgiveness, whatever it is. And if you looked at all this, like a game, like an experience, like we're here to go through these emotions, the sadness, the anger, the happiness, the bliss, all to have the highest unfoldment of our soul, would you approach life differently? That's a good question. You know, and it kind of makes me kind of wonder, it's like, I wonder what he went through to establish such a dialogue there on that. You know, it's, you always wonder what the teachers go through. Yeah, it's funny, as David often mentions, um, oftentimes the teachers, like you get a world leader like David Guillaume or Deepak Chopra, whoever it is, chances are for anybody out there, if you want to explore past lives, it's kind of fascinating. Those people probably caused harm to other people in a past life. And that's why they're coming back in this life to undo the pain they caused. And um, this is actually funny. I don't think I've ever shared this before on a show, Marianne. But years ago, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to share this. So 
<laughs> I had a friend of mine, Damien Bertrand, who I went to, and he was one of the top most famous hypnosis experts in the world and had a TV show about past lives where they would actually go, they would do somebody's past life reading, he would hypnotize them. And then they would have historians and researchers go back and validate that this actually really happened, who the person was, and that it wasn't just, you know, a made up story. So I've been seeing Damien for a fear of needles. And one day he says to me, he's like, Jen, you know, we're friends now. You've been coming to me for a while for needle stuff. How about I do a free past life regression on you? And this was probably about 10 years ago. I did not know the first thing about past life regressions. And I am, um, so I, you sit back and kind of like this dentist, like chair, you have a blanket on you and you're just like going about your own business. And then next thing you know, boom, you're like hanging out in time and space. And he's like, okay, now just drop down into whatever time zone you want. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. I'm so embarrassed to be sharing this story. But, um, so I dropped down in like 1845 London and he has me start looking around. He's like, well, what do you see? And I saw Big Ben in London. I saw like the Tower of Big Ben. And I saw I had a cane and kind of uh, nice shoes on and slacks. And I said, oh my gosh, it turned out I was a fat, ugly, old white man in like London <laughs> in 1845. And I was a jerk. So I start telling my story. So he takes me further back in that timeline. And then like uh, in my late teens, I was going to school at Cambridge with my best mate who stole the love of my life. So my best mate stole the love of my life. I spent in my own words, and it's so weird to listen back to you saying this. Uh, I spent my twenties philandering, having sex with prostitutes, gambling, just basically ruining my life and the lives of others. And then in my thirties, I had to take on a company. It was like a factory that my parents owned because they were very wealthy. And I was a complete jerk to everybody. I was just a complete and utter nightmare to the people who I worked for or who worked for me. And fast forward, I had to get married in that life because obviously, you know, my parents were very wealthy and we had to pass along the wealth. And we, it's so weird if you've ever had a past life regression, because in that life, all of a sudden I see my wife in that past, in that life. And it's my friend Nikki in this life. So ever since then, we've called her a past life wife and we joke about it because she didn't like me and I didn't like her in that life, but it was more of a marriage of, uh, uh, what's it, a marriage of um, convenience for both of us. And in that life, I wind up, you know, dying, coughing up blood, miserable. And it's so interesting for me that in this life, I spent, you know, the first half of my career as a recruiter, helping people get jobs, supporting people. And that's why I think it was part of my purpose for all the people I might've caused harm to in that life to make amends in this life and to be of service. Well, don't they say something along the lines of our soul will never understand how bright they, you know, our soul is until we've been in darkness as well. And I think there's something to be said about that, that we have to go through different challenges if we're exploring what it means to, you know, be giving, you know, we have to understand what it means to maybe not be giving as well. Uh, yeah. And that goes back to the whole soul school principle is that we're living in this reality, we're living as though what happened right now, and it's funny, there was a series I had done with Deepak Chopra and Don Hoffman called uh, Conversations at the Intersection of, Cut Intersection of Cutting Edge Science and Spirituality. And we talked about this idea of time and space. And I think that I'm not a physicist, but uh, what they were saying is the idea of space-time is doomed and that space-time is the context that we've been living from, but that there's going to be something new that will come forth, such as consciousness that gives rise to the universe. And when we remove time, that's why we suffer as human beings, is we think that you know, no harm comes. Let's say we're a jerk to somebody 10 years ago and we cheat them in business. And then 10 years later, here I am and somebody cheats me in business. And because of time, we don't realize that there's any correlation there. 
But what's really happening is that there is like um, a beautiful synergy of anything we're ever doing, whether it's in a past life or in this life, does boomerang back to us in way, shape, one way, shape, or form. And when you take time out of the equation, we are playing a whole new ball game. So I'm curious to see where physicists go with removing space time out of the equation. Oh, that will be very interesting because I, I have seen myself where somebody does something, you look and you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, a, a month or two down the road, they have something very similar happen to them. And you're like, hmm, sounds a little karmic in many ways, you know. So I'm kind of wondering how that all comes together. And, you know, it's not that we wish for anything bad to happen to anybody, but it's part about getting the lesson, you know. So if we're here to accomplish and grow and learn, sometimes it's done through pain. Mm. Totally. I completely agree. Uh, that's why one of the sections in the book I talk about is called pain talking. Is when we realize that something painful is going on, talk to it. If it's emotional pain, psychological pain, physical pain, you know, we have this opportunity to learn from it and to suffer less or not suffer at all, depending on how we interact with the pain. I love that portion of the book. I thought it was really insightful because a lot of people don't look at, they look at, oh, I'm just in pain. Not really, you know, kind of looking at, gosh, there's a root to that pain. Yeah. And when we explore the root, that's where freedom comes. And in the book, I talk about a friend of mine who's a very famous world speaker is taught to millions of people and she had tumors on her vocal cords. And when she went to her doctor, he was insistent that she needed immediate surgery. He said, listen, you know, this is dangerous. You could die from this. You need to have these tumors removed immediately. And because she was a transformational leader, she said, you know, please just give me three months. And he was apprehensive, but he did give her the three months. And at the end of three months, she came back and he said, what did you do? You went to another doctor without me? I can't believe you did that. And she said, no. Uh, she said, I didn't go to another doctor. He said, what happened then? And she explained to him that what she did was every single day for those three months, she would set aside 10 to 20 minutes and she would put her right hand on her throat and she would talk to the tumors and say, tumors, help me. You know, I appreciate that you're here. I know that there's a reason that you're here. What do you need from me? How are you helping me to evolve? And as she went through this, every day she would talk and she gained new insights. And then at the end of the three months, when she went back to the doctor, there was not a sign of any of the tumors on her vocal cords. That's just so impressive. And what a great example for people who, you know, maybe the doctors are saying you don't have any recourse or there's nothing you can do. I've seen people that have had you know, short times given to them, you know, as far as their lifespan and being able to really move beyond that, doing this type of work that you're talking about. And that I found it to be just so perfect, especially for right now. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, oh gosh, there's a great book by Anita Morjani. That's one of my favorite books I've ever read called Dying to Be Me. And in it, you know, she shares about how she was kind of bullied as a kid and she didn't feel right. And a lot of times, physical illnesses, emotional illnesses, they get made manifest because we don't love ourselves. There's parts of ourselves that we don't accept or love. And sometimes it starts early on, or it might develop later in life. And in her book, she shares her journey of going through this experience of not loving herself and having self-loathing to getting stage four cancer all over her body and being pronounced dead. I think it was in Hong Kong. And she could actually tell you what happened, like with her brother who was on a plane and what happened with doctors 300 feet away. 
um, while she was pronounced dead. And then boom, she has a choice to come back or not. And she chooses to come back because she is told this is one of the concepts that I always think about because, you know, in my earlier years, I was depressed and suicidal. And one of the things that I find, you know, a form of solace is that we have these lessons and whether you learn them this lifetime or the next lifetime, you're going to learn them somehow, some way. And so she was given a choice. You can either come back in this lifetime and you're going to be fully healed, but you're going to have to continue to do the work on yourself, or you can die and come back in another lifetime and start all over learning the same lessons from scratch. And her soul chose to come back in this lifetime and to finish the work. And when she woke up still to this day, it's written as one of the miracles in medicine is she woke up and within, I think it was like 24 or 48 hours, every lesion on her body, every tumor stage four cancer was gone, just completely gone. Yeah. What a remarkable story. My goodness. I love her story. I'm so glad that you are sharing that too. You know, in your book, you talk about giving. Mm. How, why did that make it in your book and why is that important? <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because I, I didn't even realize it until after I wrote this one. Even in the first book I wrote uh, about job hunting, I also wrote about giving. And I think that chapter was called Getting You More Than You Give. And in this one, giving is so important as well because people could have miracles in their lives if they could understand how to give and receive and how to share without expecting anything in return. So there's a Kabbalistic concept called sharing for the sake of receiving and sharing for the sake of sharing where you create perfect circuitry. So imagine if I give you a gift, Marianne, and you receive that gift and you're grateful and you appreciate it, we just created this incredible circuitry between us. But if I take things from you, like if I'm always calling you and asking for things from you, eventually your energy is going to be depleted and it's going to create a short circuit. Now, over time of a friendship, any sort of relationship, there's going to be an ebb and a flow of a giving and a taking. But if you're desiring to receive only for the sake of the self alone, give, 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 give to me, you're going to create a short circuit versus if you give, every time you give, you're able to create this opening and this space for people. And it was funny, who, I was just talking to a dear friend of mine um, in the last week or two who shared, I had told her a story about, oh, that's what it was. So I had a friend of mine who was going through a divorce and her ex-husband really wanted these beautiful leather bound journals that he had. And I was at Agape Spiritual Center with her one Sunday and she was really sad and she's there with her son and she's going through this divorce and she says, Jen, I really want these books and you know, he's trying to take them from me. And I explained to her, I said, what if this is an opportunity for you to let go and just trust that if he's meant to have them, he's meant to have them. If you're meant to have them, you're meant to have them, but to let go of any attachments. And I learned this many years ago. I was actually in Paris the first time it happened. And a woman was admiring my ring. She and I had only first met that night and I had this beautiful Kabbalistic ring I had bought myself in LA. And she said, Jen, oh my gosh, that's the most beautiful ring, et cetera. And something came over me, Marianne, and I realized it was no longer meant to be mine. I was like, oh, okay, here you go. And I handed it to her. And since then, I've probably given about 20 or 30 of those same rings that have a special healing prayer written on them to people around the world. But that was the catalyst for me in realizing that nothing is meant to be mine permanently. Things are temporarily meant to be mine, and then they're meant to be somebody else's. And so my friend went home that day to her ex-husband. And she shared, she said, listen, um, he was, you know, 
egging her on for a fight. And she said, no, you can actually have those books. <laughs> and she said, it was pretty funny because he went and scooped up all these beautiful leather bound books and he went and put them in his car and locked them in his car. And he was still like expecting to egg her on. And she's like, I hope you enjoy them. You know, they're meant to be yours. And it completely shifted something in their relationship. So when you think about it, what if we just gave for the sake of giving without expecting anything in return, but at the same time, just being open to giving and receiving. There's something beautiful about giving and there's something beautiful about receiving and knowing that we're worthy of receiving. I know for me, that's one of the blockages that I had early on in my professional life and in my relationship life is not feeling like I was worthy of receiving things. So it was really a transformational experience to realize that when we give, we receive. And when we receive, it's a form of giving when we do it in, with the right consciousness. Yeah, it really makes such a huge difference. And it's, you know, interesting to come from this place where you, you know, get to the point where it's like, you know, hey, I'm worthy to receive, you know, as well that having that really, you know, the ebb and flow that natural, you know, flow that goes with the universe. Yeah. And what I love taking it back to the pain point, this is a Kabbalistic principle that I love. It, pardon me, as the Kabbalists say that, Every time that we go through great heartache, great sadness, those moments where you feel like they're, you're not going to survive it, and you're able to be responsive rather than reactive in those moments. So in other words, you don't lash out at anybody, you don't get angry, you don't do whatever you would normally do in that moment, that at that moment, you actually up-level to another level of your soul. And after three of those times, you've earned a miracle because say you want your dream house or you want to travel the world or sell a company, whatever it might be, you're first going to have to go through three challenges and tests to be able to expand your capacity to receive. Lottery winners are a great example of this. If you give a lottery winner who the most they've ever made is 30,000 a year, a million dollars, 95% of them lose all of that money within five years. It's because they haven't expanded their vessel and their capacity to receive by doing the work on themselves to earn what the Kabbalists would call light or that energy. Yeah, it's interesting when you hear that and just how that, you know, the energy is really, it makes such a difference when you look at kind of the given the receive of all that, you know, I love how you have that explained in your book and you cover so much. If there was something that you want our listeners and of course the readers to take away from your book, what would that be? It would be to love yourself and everything that I'm talking about, whether we're talking about giving or pain talking or soul talking or Hopono Ono, it all Ho'opono Ono, it all comes back to loving yourself. And one of the things that I would recommend if people haven't tried it, it's super easy, doesn't require any classes, is doing inner child work. <laughs> you know, I um, I started off doing inner child work. You put your right hand on your heart, and I get into this in the book. And you visualize yourself. You can either look at a picture of yourself as a child, or you can visualize yourself at whatever age you want to connect yourself with. And you start to talk to yourself and you start to actually love yourself and connect with yourself and to give yourself what you need rather than always looking for external validation and other people to give you what you need. And honestly, Marianne, of all the 
techniques and tools, that has been one of the most powerful techniques that I've learned that I've learned from multiple teachers is just taking that time every single day, take five minutes, put your right hand on your heart. I like to talk to my inner child and call her sweetheart. You know, if you're a guy, you could call yourself buddy or any nickname maybe you had for yourself as a kid. And just say, you know, I love you. I appreciate you. I accept you. What do you need? What are you feeling? And to go through and process. And only recently in the last uh, year, I would say, did I discover that you can work with your inner child at any age. So he or she might be 20 years old. They might be 15 years old. I'm currently working with my 13-year-old inner child. And she is having none of it because I completely forgot about her and never did work with her. And she's just a surly, spiteful teenager who does not want to talk to me right now. So every day I'm just spending a little bit more time. She does not want to be called sweetheart. She wants to be called Jenny. (laughs) I'm lucky if I get two minutes with her, but you just, you got to love it that these are all parts of us and to love and accept every part of yourself is going to allow you to receive that. Cause first you have to be willing to give that to yourself in order to be able to ever receive it from someone else. And doing that type of work is so profound because it really is this healing work that you're doing. Yeah, deep healing. Talk about healing your pain, working with all all this sort of emotions and stuff. And what for me comes up is sometimes I don't even realize it, like whether it's my four-year-old inner child, my seven-year-old inner child, my 19 or my 13-year-old inner child, there are emotions that we have that we never dealt with. And I think I'd heard this on the weekly energy boost about a month ago. A woman was on the show being interviewed and she said, listen, did you know that it actually only takes you 90 seconds to process an emotion when it comes up? That emotion could be happiness, sadness, anger, fear, whatever it is, jealousy. However, we don't give ourselves permission to feel in the moment. And then what happens is we repress it, we suppress it, we push it down somewhere in our body, in our deep subconscious or wherever we might put it. And then it comes out in an unexpected way, three months, three years, whenever down the road. And the reason I share that is one, the next time you get angry, choose to feel angry. Say, I choose to feel angry, but you got to talk to yourself. You got to notice, am I feeling angry? Do I feel sad? Am I feeling happy? Okay, cool. And then give yourself the space to feel that emotion for however long, you know, 90 seconds or more that you might want to feel it. And then you begin to free yourself. And then there's an incredible space, Marianne, that opens up And when you have, it's it's like we're all walking around in like a bubble boy, but except instead of being bubble boy, we're filled up with like dirt and trash. And it's like the woman from the labyrinth, you know, where we have all this stuff on us, like the trash lady, the junk lady in the labyrinth, but that's walking around with us. And it's no wonder we can't find true love or a dream job because there's so much crap in our bubble with us. And the more you do this work, the more you pull that piece of anger out that's hanging on there from when you were 11 years old, you just made a little bit more space now that you can be with another person. Mm, I love that. My goodness. My goodness, Jennifer, we could talk all day. I mean, you're such a, just a fountain of just beautiful, useful information that people need right now. Why don't you share with us a little bit before we get going here about your shows and the work that you do? Thank you, Marianne. And thanks again for having me. This is so much fun. Like (laughs) I remember years ago when I was being interviewed and now I do a lot of the interviewing. So it's such a joy. You're a delight to interview with. I'm really grateful to be with you. And and, uh, so the shows I host is every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I co-host a show called Get Yourself the Job with Brandon Maslin. And it's a lot of fun today. You know, we're, we're doing shows every single month on leadership, diversity, 
finding your dream job, a whole variety of things. And that show has been going on for about four years. So you can find a lot of the archives on iTunes under Get Yourself the Job. On Mondays at 12 p.m. Pacific, we created something called the Coalition for Global Unity with incredible leaders. Kim Stanwood-Terranova just joined us this last month. We have Deepak Chopra joining us in the next several months, uh, Dr. Roland McCready from HeartMath. And the idea is for any of you who might be new out there, and maybe the idea of meditation might be something you want to do, but you don't know how to get started. Every week, we're offering free meditations at noon Pacific on awaketvnetwork.live. And if you click the Coalition for Global Unity link at the top of the screen, you can actually find the 30 plus free meditations that have already been created and explore ones from musical meditations to silent meditations to visualize meditations. So you can kind of get a sense of what your vibe is. And then the third show I host is called Conversations for Consciousness. Uh, That's kind of where I started off doing the series with Deepak Chopra and Don Hoffman, as well as many others. And that's every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific on AwakeTVNetwork.live. Well, Jennifer, where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about your books and be part of your community? Uh, I would love it. Uh, However people want to connect, there are many ways. You can follow me on Insta where I often post uh, little one minute videos on job hunting and other spiritual techniques. And that's at Jen, J-E-N-H-I-L-L speaker. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn under Jennifer K. Hill on LinkedIn, or you can go to one of my websites, metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S. My email and phone number is on there, as well as on 101spiritualtools.com, and you'll be able to find the blog link there has the link to all my favorite meditations, how to do inner child work. That's all meant to be right there for you and free and accessible on 101spiritualtools.com in the blog section. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us here today. Thank you so much, Marianne, and just deeply grateful to you and all of the listeners out there for tuning in with us today. Well, thank you, Jennifer. It has been such an honor to spend this time with you and to talk about your new book, 101 Spiritual Tools for Uncertain Times. Again, 101 Spiritual Tools is available on Kindle, so you can download it right now and get reading. And if you'd like to connect with Jennifer, you can at 101spiritualtools.com for more information. Well, we're at the end of our time today. I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. You're listening to Moments with Marianne. And remember, make every moment count. In a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work. And while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guest and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Moments with Mary Ann airs every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. 
Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information.